Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. That with episode 453 of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back once again and it is Thursday, so you know exactly what that means. Isn't this the money in the bank edition? No, not Get Riddle, it is not the money in the bank edition. We are here on Thursday to break down everything that happened over the last week in the worlds of AEW and NXT. AEW, of course, building towards Forbidden Door, which I got to say completely snuck up on me. I did not realize it's going to be next Sunday. NXT then developing two special Gold Rush television episodes over the next couple of weeks. A ton to dive into across both brands, and we are not going to waste any further time getting into it today. A reminder off the top that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast is all about Defy. So be sure to leave those five-star ratings and reviews for us on Apple Podcasts on Spotify. You can leave a five-star rating and comment on some of those individual episodes. Every time you do, we greatly appreciate it. Also, please do not forget, I happen to love the number... Five. And for only $5 a month, you can contribute and support the Getting Over Wrestling podcast by heading over to buymeacoffee.com slash getting over, where you also get some extras for doing so, including bonus audio after every major American television show and as well, news posts giving you insight on both WWE and AEW. And anyone who is a subscriber already knows we are hitting extremely well on that WWE news in particular, AEW. Most of what we've reported thus far is future stuff. And we'll find out, of course, if that's accurate as well, which I'm going to tell you right now it is. We also have a loaded schedule coming up here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, both this weekend and all of next week. The expectation right now is that we're going to have an instant reaction show Saturday night. As soon as AEW Collision, the debut episode goes off the air, that's going to be determined based on vintage Chris Vanini and I both being home at the time. But as long as we are, or if we are shortly thereafter, we will be sure to do that instant reaction show for you. And then next week, an absolutely loaded week here at Getting Over. On Tuesday, we'll be back with another WWE show. On Wednesday, we're going to break down NXT. And in addition to that, the Silver King sat down for a 40-minute extended conversation with WWE ring announcer Samantha Irvin. We're going to bring that to you on Wednesday, one of the fa- my favorite interviews that I've ever done. Extremely excited for you to hear that. On Thursday, we'll have our AEW Forbidden Door Ultimate Preview, and Sunday, our AEW Forbidden Door Instant Reaction. All of that coming next week. So folks, with that, let's not waste any more time. Let's get into the breakdowns. We're going to kick things off with AEW this week. They are closer to a pay-per-view than, of course, NXT is. And I'll tell you this right off the top, both shows, AEW and NXT, were fantastic. I'm talking about Dynamite and the regular NXT show. Spoiler alert. Rampage, after a one-week reprieve where I was hugely praiseworthy over it, back to being absolute shit last Friday. So we're going to talk AEW first, NXT second. We will have timestamps in the episode description. So if for some reason you only watch one show or the other, you only want to hear about one show or the other, you can find those timestamps and jump around. But as always, I hope you listen to the entire show. Dynamite on Wednesday kicked off with MJF against Adam Cole in a World Championship Eliminator match. Uh, Cole injured his shoulder early during the match, so MJF worked it extensively. He added a tombstone pile driver on the apron in a big spot and a heat seeker later for another one. That led to the referee doing 
an extended like kayfabe check on Cole for a head injury because, of course, uh, MJF put Cole on the timekeeper's table, hit a huge flying elbow outside. After a really bad spot by commentary, Tony Schiavone suggested that the outdoor temperature was affecting the wrestlers indoors. Made no sense. There was a good spot by Excalibur that MJF actually drilled Cole's injured shoulder while he did the elbow drop. So perfect execution by the wrestlers, but also commentary for pointing it out. Cole beat the count at 9.5. He had a straitjacket German suplex on the apron. MJF started screaming at the referee for his count about three minutes earlier. So like it took him all that time to actually complain about it. There was then a clumsy spot where Cole ran into the referee on a kickout. MJF grabbed the title and he tried to do the Eddie Guerrero spot, but the referee comically fell back down and didn't see Cole holding the title. So Cole hit MJF with the title and lowered the boom for a slow count, uh, 2.7, let's call it, false finish. MJF grabbed the referee's head so he could hit a mule kick on Cole and slip on the dynamite diamond ring. The referee then physically stopped him from punching Cole, despite having no idea the ring was on his hand. That let Cole hit a super kick, Panama Sunrise, and the boom, only for the bell to ring with the referee's arm in the air, counting between two and three. The match ended in a 30-minute time limit draw. Cole grabbed the mic and demanded five more minutes. MJF put his title between them, and then he grabbed it and slid out of the ring in classic MJF fashion. So, you know, let's get this straight in kayfabe first. Cole used the title. The referee physically stopped MJF for no reason whatsoever. Again, in kayfabe, he did not know he had the ring on. It was at best an assumption. And if you are going well, the referee has seen enough tape so he knew he was doing it. Then he's physically getting himself involved in the match without having facts, which is not what a judge, which is what a referee is in a situation like this, does. And then the time limit expired without a countdown or a notification at any point in the match, despite in AEW history, us getting those countdowns and notifications during matches that do end in time limit draws. It's generally appropriate to do one, I think, with five minutes and then one minute. Now, those are the reasons why this stands at an A, 4.25, 4.5, depending on your taste. I'm probably going to say 4.25. Other than those clear issues, though, this was an incredible match. Top-tier wrestling, great storytelling, everything that you could possibly want. But holy shit, was that a completely convoluted finish. Now, in terms of going forward, a draw in an eliminator should mean that Cole neither gets a title shot immediately nor gets eliminated from contention. And if they do that and they push Cole all the way off to either all in or all out, I do think going to full gear in November would push would be pushing it a little bit too far. Then that would make a lot of sense to do an all in or all out title match. Again, I do expect Cole to be the one to take the title off MJF unless Tony Khan has lost his mind and puts it on CM Punk or something. So the idea of MJF winning at all in, possibly against someone else, and then losing a week later at all out, if the shows are scheduled and booked that way, to me would make a lot of sense. It would give him an excuse and it would still crown Cole as the champion. We'll have to see how this goes ultimately, though. Uh, The main event of Dynamite was the Elite against Blackpool Combat Club. This was chaotic, I guess, is probably the best way to describe it. Hangman Page went on a run of Tope Suicidas. After this, tagging became just completely irrelevant in the match. Matt Jackson ate Doomsday Device from John Moxley and Claudio Castagnoli. The finish came with Wheeler Yuta eating a pop-up powerbomb and BTE trigger, then being left for a buckshot lariat as the Young Bucks simultaneously hit Tope Suicidas outside to prevent any breakups. Claudio and Mox attacked after the bell. 
with Eddie Kingston returning to make the save. He backfisted Yuta and Claudio, but Mox kind of stalled going after him and they just wouldn't punch each other. So Matt started attacking Mox, but Kingston pulled him off so that they could go face to face again. That led Konosuke Takeshka down to level Kingston from behind. Then Kenny Omega returned to battle Takeshka, who ate a V-trigger, two pump knees, and a snapdragon. Omega then hit Takeshka with another V-trigger as Will Ospreay slid into the ring to catch him blind and level him with the Oz cutter. Then Ospreay added a Stormbreaker for good measure, plus one additional Oz cutter before AEW went off the air actually a minute late for the first time in a while. All right, so there's a lot to break down here, obviously. First, if I was booking, I'd probably not have shoved Kingston into this return when I presume that's like a Ring of Honor sub-feud with Claudio that has nothing to do with AEW or Forbidden Door that's coming up. Now, if I'm wrong, then maybe it's appropriate, but that's just how I saw it, and I don't think I'm wrong. Back to everything else. The match was an absolute banger with an appropriate finish. The sequence was great. It gave Yuta an excused fall. The right team won. The successive attacks after were kind of eye-rolling at first, but when it culminated with Omega and Osprey, it made it all worthwhile because they needed to put them together on AEW TV before Forbidden Door. I know the match doesn't actually need build because it's Omega and Osprey. Some would argue the two best wrestlers in the world are at least at worst, two of the top 10 best wrestlers in the world. But still, it's nice to get some kind of angle. And I'm glad that they kind of started that on AEW TV. Obviously, they have an angle in New Japan, but AEW fans who don't watch New Japan may not know about it. All in all, I thought it was a fantastic closing segment to an extremely strong episode of Dynamite that hit on all cylinders leading into Collision on Saturday. Now, we're not going to know the ratings before we tape this show, and we don't really talk ratings much here anyway, but if this Dynamite does not do like a million viewers and a 0.4 demo, then I would say AEW should be disappointed at that because it was a great episode. It was unopposed by any sports. The NBA and NHL are both over. And the way they structured the show, going Eliminator off the top with two big stars, they had Sting and Chris Jericho on it early, and they just kept it the momentum going with people who are familiar to casual fans and things that were really exciting for um, casual fans to watch if they weren't familiar with AEW. If they were not able to retain viewers enough viewers over the course of the show to hit those metrics, I'd be very surprised, number one. I think they're going to hit them easily. But number two, I'd be disappointed if I was AEW. On Dynamite, CM Punk got a promo package uh, saying the only thing certain about him is nothing is certain and that he's coming back because he has scores to settle and goals to accomplish. He said he doesn't know what he will do or say on Saturday, but he has a lot to get off his chest. Also, his head was completely shaved. So they're basically teasing a pipe bomb on Collision. It was a good teaser for anyone who was not planning to watch Collision anyway. Maybe this will get you to do so, but really not much more than that. On Dynamite, Sammy Guevara made his first appearance since Double or Nothing. He was sporting a major tan. He said he remains focused on the AEW title, but has tough decisions to make. Darby Allen interrupted, saying it sounds like the fans are starting to love him again. And apparently Darby is deaf because the fans were booing the shit out of Sammy until Darby got out there. But once he said that, they did start cheering him, which was the entire point. Darby told Sammy he needs to get away from Chris Jericho because he's not being treated like an equal the way Sting treats Darby. So, of course, Jericho entered saying Sammy never reached out once while going after the title. Sammy said he never called either when he was feuding with Adam Cole. So Jericho demanded an apology. Guevara refused and got in his face. So Jericho's solution 
to them being angry at each other was teaming up. Darby then got in Chris's face and Sting entered going face-to-face with Jericho. Both held bats at each other's throats before the whole thing kind of just ended. So it was definitely a hot segment, smart storyline. Using Darby to get Sammy cheered was well done. And the Jericho Sting face-off was cool in a very old-school way. I am excited to see where it goes. We're going to get the tag team match. In terms of what transpires after that, are we going to get Guevara and Jericho feuding? Is Sammy actually going to break away from him? You know, the fan response wasn't great. And even with with Darby kind of doing the please clap type of deal, it wasn't that much better anyway. So we will see how this actually transpires. Uh, that led into a eight-man tag team match. I had to do a quick count while I was looking at it. Darby Sting, Orange Cassidy, and Keith Lee against Mogul Embassy. When I say there was no tagging in this match, holy shit. Brian Cage had Sting makeup on. Keith briefly got hands on Swerve only to eat a triple powerbomb swerve-stomp combination for a broken fall. Sting botched a simple Irish whip. Darby did a coffin drop outside, and Sting actually pinned Brian Cage, hitting a scorpion death drop immediately after Cage took an orange punch. After the bell, Daniel Garcia kind of shook his head watching backstage, which was random in the moment, but made sense a little bit later. Simply put, this just should have been booked as a tornado match, but even with the ignored tag rules, it was extremely fun action from bell to bell, especially the finish. Later backstage, Orange was about to do an interview when Zack Sabre Jr. walked in suggesting a title versus title match at Forbidden Door. That was not booked, but Garcia walked in asking where Shibata was at, so Orange suggested they do a tag team match on Dynamite next week, which does sound fun. Now, I assume both single matches will eventually get made, but it was kind of a strange segment, and that's saying something for an Orange segment, most of which are strange anyway. On Dynamite, we also had a bunch of build for Forbidden Door with video packages. Sonata, who is the current IWGP World Heavyweight Champion, for those who do not know, issued an open challenge for his title at Forbidden Door. Later in the show, Jungle Boy accepted it during a promo segment with Hook. He called Hook his tag team partner and his best friend, asking him to be in his corner. Hiroshi Tanahashi then appeared, directly challenging MJF for his title. He was told MJF was by Renee that the match was officially booked by Tony Khan, to which MJF declined and said, it wouldn't be the first time I no-show something that Tony books for me. I'm not overly excited for Sonata Jungle Boy. It'll probably be decently wrestled, but there's just nothing there. There's no juice. But I'm not sure what I like more. The MJF Tanahashi booking or MJF's promo. The way he delivered it with like a, yeah, right, type of shrug, not even paying it any mind, like it was not even in the realm of possibility to actually happen, popped me massively. I thought it was so funny. Plus, this match is absolutely going to bang. MJF and Tanahashi will be great. That's an insanely strong top three matches to the card at this point. MJF, Tanahashi, Omega Osprey, Brian Danielson, and Kazuchika Okada. Holy shit, that is awesome. On Rampage, Britt Baker fought Nyla Rose, Mercedes Martinez, and Sky Blue in a number one contendership fatal four-way match. There were streaks of action here that were okay. Most of it was clunky. Baker hit Rose with a stomp. Then she fought with Martinez at ringside as Blue hopped in the ring, hit half of a code blue, and then won. It was kind of a sudden, unexpected finish. It does make sense for Sky to get a throwaway title match on TV. She's been pretty decent, so it was a nice opportunity for her. That match came on Dynamite. We had Tony Storm defending against Sky. Tony grabbed Blue's mom and sprayed her in the face. Then she ate a tope suicida. Ruby Soho handed Storm spray paint in a sneaky way. But when she went to use it, somehow Sky had blue spray paint. Sky hit code blue, but Soho distracted during the ensuing cover. 
Tony came back with Storm Zero for a 2.5 false finish, which to me made no sense. The match should have just ended there. And then she won a couple minutes later with the Cloverleaf. The Outcast attacked it after the bell with Willow Nightingale making the save. I know they're heels, but I'd much have preferred Tony beating a low mid-carder like this squeaky clean. It made her look weak as a champion unnecessarily. Again, not she's not fighting Britt Baker or even Willow Nightingale for that matter. She's fighting Sky Blue. Let her win clean. Match was okay. Nothing special. One of the down parts of the entire show. On Rampage, Arn Anderson was cutting a boring-ass promo, basically promising Christian Cage a beatdown for attacking his son. Wardlow came back, and his was better, still low energy. He talked about having an already scheduled open challenge against Jake Hager. Again, that is not an open challenge anymore. It is now closed. And Hager challenging for the title, it's also nonsensical when he's done nothing at all. That match happened on Dynamite, Wardlow-Hager. Wardlow was attacked on the ramp. Commentary kept suggesting this was a rivalry and a rubber match. And yeah, it was technically a rubber match, but... The last time they fought one-on-one was literally two years ago. No one remembers that feud. It's it's irrelevant to what this match was on Wednesday. JAS came down, so Arn pulled his fake Glock again. Brock ran down and helped. Absolutely none of that was necessary. Wardlow hit the Swanton Bomb and two power bombs to retain the title. It was actually a good match. It just didn't need any of the bullshit shenanigans. Hager's athleticism allowed Wardlow to come out looking better than he has in a while, and that's all this needed to be about. So then you have Christian and Luchasaurus appearing on screen after the bell. The audio didn't work in the arena or on TV, but Christian ultimately accepted the TNT title challenge offered by Wardlow for collision on Luchasaurus's behalf. Then they revealed that Arn was bloodied. He had a gash in his head and he was sitting on the stairs. So they attacked him again. On Rampage, the Lucha Bros and Bandito fought Ethan Page, Big Bill, and Lee Moriarty. So Excalibur explained that this match was booked before Paige's contract was won by Matt Hardy. I appreciate that they tried to explain it, but this was still an unforced error. Commentary again spent the entire match talking about how crazy the luchadors are. The Hardys interrupted with Jeff wanting Paige to extend his sleeves. He had like the Hardy boy sleeves with the holes in them. And that distraction allowed Bandito to beat him. So faces interrupting someone they promised to help for a purposeful distraction in a loss That's just nonsensical booking to me. I thought this was stupid as hell. On Dynamite, the guns backstage refused to talk about Bullet Club, saying they are the best tag team and the best brothers in AEW. They challenged the Hardys. This was the most confident I can remember them sounding and probably the best promo they've ever cut because it wasn't over the top like some of the stuff they've done in the past. I do still expect them to join Bullet Club. It makes all the sense in the world. Maybe they're trying to move this over to Collision, and that's why they didn't go into more depth on this Wednesday night. On Rampage, Jeff Jarrett and his still unnamed crew came out for an interview. Karen called out Aubrey Edwards, who entered with Mark Briscoe, saying AEW will not sanction a match for her. Instead, she promised to kick Karen's ass somewhere outside the ring. Briscoe explained that AEW will sanction a match as long as it's a mixed tag team match and she can be involved in that. Somehow he knows management better than a referee. This is like twice this has happened. So they're going to do the Jarrett's and Jay Lethal against Aubrey Edwards, Mark Briscoe and Briscoe's father. This is a real match that's happening. Like I said last week, I'm happy that Aubrey's getting a chance to wrestle and have fun, like good for her personally, but I just don't give a flying fuck about any of this. On Rampage, the acclaimed and daddy ass fought the Spanish Announce Project. Quality rap from Max Caster this week. It is crazy how these guys were the most over thing in the company but are now relegated to Rampage. Acclaimed one with their signatures and mic drop as usual. Whole lot of nothing, like most of their stuff has been recently. 
And on Rampage, QTV is somehow still around. They did make me smile for the first time ever by talking about making an announcement of an announcement, a shot at Tony Khan. That was funny. Kudos. Other than that, the rest of it was unfunny, completely worthless. After commercial powerhouse Hobbs destroyed a jobber, it's just ridiculous that he's still with these jabronis. A couple notes for Collision before we move over to NXT. Uh, Miro is going to be returning to action and Buddy Matthews will fight Andrade El Idolo in Andrade's return as well. So that's a very WWE Raw pandemic match. Buddy and Andrade going head to head. That will be happening. Definitely a stacked first episode from the men's division, at least in terms of the people who are going to be in action. And other than that, I don't have much of a preview for Collision. Like I said, we will try to do an instant reaction show on Saturday night after that is over. So stay tuned for that. We'll see what we think about Collision in week one. And then just like we always do when there's a new show, new commentary, people, whatever, a couple months from now, we'll do a reevaluation of the entire program. So folks, with that, let's go ahead and move over to NXT, which, you know, maybe their week wasn't as big as AEW's, but a shitload happened on NXT as well. Braun Breaker came out with a longer beard dressed in an all black suit. He had an entirely new black and red Titantron to match his gimmick, like I have been begging to see since WrestleMania. The only flaw, they had all this black and red evil stuff, and then they flash his 80s color nameplate as his graphic, as he's walking to the ring. Come on, you got 90% of the way there. Finish the job. Breaker talked about ruffling feathers and putting the entire roster on notice. He called himself the meaner than evil, which is not really how nicknames work. Then he called out Seth Rollins only for Isla Dragunov to get prevented from rushing the ring by a half dozen officials. Again, Isla uh, got attacked by Breaker last week. Rollins eventually answered via the Titantron, saying he's not just going to hand out a title match despite respecting the approach of calling him out. But then Rollins ultimately admitted, hey, you know, it'd be nice to take a trip back to NXT. So he did accept the challenge for next week. So he just countered exactly what he just said he wouldn't do. The crowd immediately chanted for him. And look, there's really no way around it. This is an insanely hot piece of booking. Next week is the first NXT without NBA or NHL competition in months. So clearly WWE is trying to pop a rating and push NXT into another level. It's a bit wild that Rollins is going to have title defenses Monday and Tuesday consecutively. And again, I remain disappointed that WWE did not promote this better on Raw this week. Yes, Rollins did not show up live, but they could have promoted that he would answer Braun and fans would have still been rewarded by seeing him on TV and getting the title match announcement. Maybe they didn't want to overpromise and underdeliver. I get it. I still would have promoted it more. Anyway, this is a major piece of booking. I mean, this is just not something WWE has done. It proves they are committed to fully rebuilding NXT into something more than developmental, a true third brand again. And that was proven out over the rest of the show as well. NXT has been operating on all cylinders over the last few weeks. So let's go ahead and get to everything else that happened on Tuesday night. Shawn Michaels later announced via Twitter, which they screen capped on the show. Really weird when he's just there and could have made the announcement. Uh, There's going to be a two-week TV event called NXT Gold Rush with Rollins Breaker main eventing next week and the winner of a number one contendership facing Carmelo Hayes for the NXT title in two weeks. Now, you would think that they don't need to do much more than those two matches to get people to tune in, but these cards are already being built in a major way. So let's get to that number one contendership. Isla Dragunov fought Baron Corbin. 
This was the main event with Isla hitting Constantine special early. It was hard hitting as you would expect with Corbin completely up to matching Isla's brutality. He hit deep six, but Dragunov countered end of days coming back with a high impact flying senton and a falling forearm. Breaker ran into the ring, intercepting Dragunov's torpedo Moscow, allowing Corbin to hit end of days for the win. Braun and Isla continued brawling to the back as Mello went after Corbin and hit him with nothing but net to end the show. Now, this was the expected finish, and it was really telegraphed from Braun's promo earlier in the show where he was still talking about Dragunov. It's still a damn good battle for the main event. A little weird that Breaker is so keen to shit on Dragunov when he should be focused on, I don't know, winning a damn world heavyweight championship match next week. But I presume the idea is to set up Breaker Dragunov for week two of Gold Rush as another major featured match. If that's the case, Isla might lose that and make his way up to the main roster soon after. This work, though, I would like to see a little bit more character development from Dragunov if he stays in NXT as opposed to just dude who kicks ass, gets his ass kicked, and remains standing through the entire thing. I like what they're doing with Corbin, elevating him into a title match, makes all the sense in the world. Now it is time for him to actually change his gimmick. And folks, we've said it once, we've said it a thousand times. You all say it, everyone knows. The old NXT Baron Corbin, the lone wolf, that should be this guy's gimmick. They never should have gone away from it. It worked. The music was hot. Now they're probably not going to have that anymore. But everything they did with the spotlight, the black and the red, it was so eye-catching. The guy looked like a total badass, even though he was balding. They fixed the hair. Now he shaves his head. Allow him to look like he used to and the type of gear he used to wear. And I think he will actually get over again. Wesley, Tyler Bate, and Mustafa Ali fought schism. This was an absolute blast, opening the show with a lot of high-energy action. Ali got dodged on a 450 before taking a straight header into the middle turnbuckle. There was a weird spot where Ali came nowhere near a cardiac kick. The referee somehow got tagged with Schism connecting on a sick toss Liger bomb. However, a second referee stopped the count because the first referee didn't see a clear tag. Bate hit bop and bang. Ali hit a tornado DDT outside and Lee hit a tope suicida with Bate connecting on a rebound lariat and Tyler Driver 97 on Joe Gacy for the win. After the bell, Dyad was staring daggers into the back of Gacy's head while he was on the ground. Now, I'm always bothered when a second referee randomly gets involved given how many matches end with distractions and interferences without anyone doing shit about it in kayfabe. So look, that's a minor gripe, I guess, for what was a damn fun match from bell to bell. Everyone came out of this looking great, and they are now clearly telling a schism schism angle. Uh, and I presume to write off Dyad once their contracts end. I went 3.75 stars and a B plus for this match. It was just really fun. Now, the faces all celebrated in the locker room later, with Wes admitting the second referee was the reason they won. Then Ali, again, instigated Lee versus Bate for the North American title, suggesting himself as the special guest referee. Bate suggested they all go out for dinner and get vegan food. Lee hesitated but accepted, and Ali was pissed about not being able to eat meat. And I feel him on that. Vegan restaurants, they ain't it usually. The question here is whether this is going to be a heel turn for Ali as part of his storyline, because it sure feels like him inserting himself as a special guest referee in a match like this is leading to something like that. Noam Dar was scheduled to fight Nathan Frazier for the Heritage Cup. However, Dar hit the ring in crutches with metaphor, and he suggested that Frazier attacked him in the parking lot to try to get an advantage. And Frazier, of course, denied that because he's a babyface. And why would he do that? So then he decides that on his behalf, Oro Mensa 
is going to defend the Heritage Cup, which did not make any sense to me. It's not his cup. The cup is not a team or freebird situation. So how exactly can Mensa defending it be justified? I just, I couldn't put that together. Uh, Frazier surprised with a quick pinfall in round one, but Mensa evened it via distraction in round two. Then Ulisa Leon and Valentina Ferois ran in preventing the metaphor women from distracting again during round four. Frazier dodged a Mensa cannonball into the corner, double hopped to the top rope for a completely off balance, but somehow still executed Phoenix Splash to win 2-1 and claim the Heritage Cup. And Dar obviously was furious. Now, this was a total banger, despite a lot of distraction and interference. It was a good reminder that Mensa probably needs to be featured more, at least in an in-ring role. I'll repeat here that I dislike the booking. I presume Dar was legitimately injured and creative called for the cup to change hands here. So they bent logic to make it happen. And if so, that's at least a legitimate explanation for the booking, but it did not make much sense in kayfabe. Better would have been for him to vacate the cup and Mensa and Frazier to go head to head for it. Mensa representing metaphor and Frazier, of course, being the person who is supposed to have a challenge. Frazier taking the cup, it should elevate it because he's going to go on an absolute tear of top tier matches. And I really cannot wait for that. It has been a bit too long of a wait and see for him to truly get featured. But now that there's all these main roster call-ups, his window is open. I went four stars and A- minus for this match, and I seriously cannot put over strong enough how crazy it is that he hit a Phoenix Splash without having his balance. You would think that would be an impossibility. Go check out our Twitter account, at Getting Overcast. I'm just now remembering, I didn't even mention that earlier in the show, but we did post a clip of that Phoenix Splash, and you definitely want to see it. There was a Dana Brooke video package, including footage of her NXT run up through some main roster highlights. She said she needed to go back to her roots. Dana said she'll be in NXT as long as they'll have her, and she'll work whatever show she wants because she loves being in the ring. Cora Jade interrupted talking shit before slapping her in the face. And you really got to appreciate WWE's video production team here because they somehow made Dana look like a bona fide superstar, despite the fact that she's accomplished a whole lot of nothing in her entire career. And that's no hate. It's just kind of facts. Now, we'll see if this NXT return does anything for her. But candidly, I'm not that optimistic. Thea Hale was reviewing tape with Drew Gulak and Charlie Dempsey backstage. It appears the gimmick is going to be that they're getting to her through like sarcasm, doubting her skill, making fun of her as a means of motivation. Duke Hudson sent them off to train before calling Andre Chase for an update on his recovery, but he did not pick up. So what once looked like Duke possibly trying to take over Chase U now seems to be he and Chase possibly fending off Gulak and Dempsey once Chase returns. The whole older brothers needling younger sister routine with Thea, I find it to be really fun, and it's a smart way to explain her improvement and her winning streak given she had been unsuccessful for so many months prior. So we got Hale against Jade. Cora punched Dana in the face when she approached at ringside and grabbed her taped kendo sticks only for the referee to steal it away. That allowed Brooke to push Jade into the steel steps, giving Hale an opening for a surprise Kamora lock submission. Uh, Gulak and Dempsey gave her a round of applause after the bell, seeing that she used the tap out move. Hudson later explained that he's proud of her and would hold a pep rally next week. Tiffany Stratton confronted, saying that her underdog story would end when they fight. Gulak and Dempsey then walked up angry about the pep rally, wanting her to focus on training, and she was ready to do both things. This was a really nice way of merging like multiple storylines together for a single match feud. 
Thea is still super green though. It's nice that she's getting featured, but she's a neophyte. She's not ready for the upper mid card yet. It will be interesting to see how the match with Stratton ultimately goes because that's going to be a huge test. Her interactions with Gulak and Dempsey, they were the best part of the storyline. I am curious to see whether they train another woman or if this is ultimately two sets of guys battling for her mentorship or something like that. Blair Davenport got a promo package where she talked about derailing the future of NXT, both in the parking lot and inside the Performance Center. There was a cool digital map with Blair pointing out all the spots where she took out Nikita Lyons, Wendy Chu, and Sol Ruka. It was unique, and I obviously liked that they're actually using the parking lot as a device in storytelling. Roxanne Perez against Tatum Paxley followed this as Paxley sided with Davenport during the Battle Royal last week. That was the connection. Tatum wore all black leather with a new darker look. The match had quality moments, but was also clunky in spots, including the finish, which was supposed to be Pop Rocks, but was instead botched by Paxley, who fell forward into the bottom rope and instead basically took a sunset flip pinning combination. Reading body language, Roxy looked really bothered at how that went down, and Tatum just didn't seem to be up to her level at all during the match. After the bell, Perez cut a promo hanging over the top rope, calling out Davenport for running through the locker room, but refusing to hide from her. Roxy promised to hurt Blair when she found her in what I thought was easily the most intense promo we've gotten since she joined NXT. The camera even zoomed in real tight on her eyes to like show her seriousness. It was a bit over the top, but it did work. Axiom and Scripps teamed to fight Dabakato. This was a handicap match. The faces got their asses beat, save for a sick move or Axiom hopped over Scripps, who was laying on the ground, and then he grabbed his hands for a pendulum-style tope cannonball outside. They each hit moonsaults with Axiom landing golden ratio for, at least to me, a surprising 1-2-3 in a few minutes. This is definitely one way to get a new tag team over. Kato has not been built at all, so there's no harm in him taking this loss, but it is odd that he's barely had any success in the ring since returning. The faces feel forced as a team just because they both happen to flip around and be fast, but it does seem to be interesting enough, at least for now. I hope it's not long-term. After the bell, Umberto Creo and Angel Garza surprised, attacking the faces out of the crowd, quickly laying them out, and fans were actually chanting for the heels. Creo appeared enormous, and Garza had a different look to him as well, with a streak of blonde or kind of grayish type of hair. Uh, this continues a string of main roster talents going to NXT, either just to do some work or for repackaging. It's been utterly shocking to me that these guys had not been used on the main roster. The Los Lotharios gimmick, yeah, it was stupid, but it was decent enough where they could have been utilized frequently as a low-card tag team. They're obviously way more talented than the Los Lotharios gimmick, and in terms of in-ring, they can completely go. This is a significant influx of talent for NXT, and I hope they're tag team champions down there really as soon as possible. Their ceiling is just so immensely high. Malik Blade fought Idris Anofe. Uh, Hank Walker and Tank Ledger, Briggs and Jensen all came down to watch the teammates wrestle. Anofe completely missed a Topic on Hero outside, which looked like it killed him, uh, with Blade immediately following and connecting with one. Anofe then connected with a superplex and tried a leg hook pinning combination, but Blade shifted his weight, putting Anofe on his shoulders for the win. The guys hugged after the bell with Anofe saying he loved Blade. Booker T then interrupted the celebration, announcing a triple threat between the teams for a tag team title number one contendership. And if you happen to be a member of buymeacoffee.com slash getting over, you knew about that on Friday. You also knew about NXT Gold Rush on Friday in our news report. Garza and Creo watched from the crow's nest, and the three teams of friends attacked each other to get an upper hand 
for next week. Garza and Creo were then interviewed up there saying they want to be part of the NXT action in the tag team division. Clearly a lot happened here. The match was a bit too short. I'd have liked to see these guys get more time, but it was well booked with a multi-week storyline all kind of culminating and coming together in a well-booked type of situation. Now, none of these guys should be expected to take down Gallus, but for a TV special, it should be a fun couple of tag team matches over the ensuing weeks. Uh, Von Wagner in the NXT kitchen told Mr. Stone that the new therapist is getting a lot out of him. It looked good, but she's got me saying, hey now! Dijak walked by saying under his breath that Stone should drop the dead weight and represent a real winner. Stone pressed Wagner about the picture again and got really agitated that he wouldn't talk about it until Wagner admitted Stone is the one he actually trusts. That didn't exactly play with Wagner not telling Stone, even though he trusts him, but perhaps the idea is that it's a breakthrough and that's all going to be coming soon. The big mistake here is they didn't let the sexual insinuation about the therapist breathe. Like for comedy reasons, you say a line like that, you pause, you let people understand it, laugh at it, and then you keep going. So it was supposed to be comedy, but it didn't come off that way. They just ran right over the entire thing. If Dijak and Wagner happens, Dijak better freaking beat Wagner. Uh, Damon Kemp backstage showed video to the referee who screwed up last week. The referee admitted his mistake with Kemp losing his mind and Eddie Thorpe in between them. Thorpe agreed to any rematch he wanted with Kemp saying he would decide later. He said Thorpe should have been smarter and taken the cheap win, but Thorpe said, that ain't me. I kind of love seeing Kemp go right to the referee directly versus it being like assumed that it was something that was discussed off screen. Fun bit of booking for a mid-card storyline. Stack surveyed a string board trying to connect the dots of Tony D'Angelo's arrest. All roads pointed to Gallus, with Stacks determined to spring D'Angelo from the clink and get a title match. I'm not sure how many of you still watch Jersey Shore, but this was like Mike the Situation's board for Angela that he did. Real D-level stuff. I just, not for me, Angelina, sorry, not Angela. Uh, real D-level acting and the whole deal. It's not really getting much better. We still don't even know what exactly Tony is technically incarcerated for. Lyra Valkyria got a promo package about failing in her title opportunity and in the Battle Royal. She said her focus was having a short memory and becoming a true champion who overcomes adversity. It wasn't anything special, but she came across really well-spoken in it. Immediately after that backstage, JC Jane talked shit about Lyra with Electra Lopez sticking up for her. Then Lola Vice, former MMA star Valerie Lareda, stepped up for, I think, her first primary NXT debut, saying she liked Lopez and they should stick together. So that's clearly going to be a tag team. Gigi Dolan was angry watching her own footage uh, and about Kiana James like eliminating her. She was angry that she allowed that to happen. Fallon Henley shared the same hate and riled her up further as Dolan said, you never mess with a reject. It was nice to see the women get all these extra segments to develop like TV feuds and maybe even partnerships. It seems like Lyra JC and Gigi Kiana will be two upcoming matches with Elektra and Lola becoming a tag team. All makes sense from what WWE is trying to do building the women's division in NXT. There was also a vignette for Lucian Price and Bronco Nima, who were playing cards outside a Caribbean grocery store, talking about being brothers that the other one never had. Uh, they said a ton of things that attempted to divide them over time, but they've stuck together and NXT is not ready for them. I will say this, these guys absolutely looked the part, but there's not much else to really take away from it. Now, in terms of uh, NXT Gold Rush, this two-week card that we're going to have on June 20th, we're getting Seth Rollins against Braun Breaker for the World Heavyweight Championship, which again is just kind of crazy to say, uh, but also Brooks and Jensen against Anofe and Blade and then Hank and Tank, the number one contendership for the Tag Team Championship. 
Wesley versus Tyler Bate for the North American Championship with Mustafa Ali as the special guest referee. And then Dana Brooke versus Cora Jade is being thrown onto that show as well. Really lacking a big time women's match. But I mean, Dana technically is a main roster talent. So I guess that is why they're thinking of it that way. And then week two, Carmelo Hayes against Baron Corbin for the NXT Championship. Tiffany Stratton against Thea Hale for the NXT Women's Championship. Gallus against the winner of the number one contendership. And then we'll see what else transpires. Um, I'm assuming, I, or at least I thought the tag team championship was also going to have um, its match on week two with the winner of the triple threat being on that show. But I'm not seeing that right now in terms of the card that I'm looking at from WWE. So it's probably just a typo and it's not on there. But nevertheless, a big two-week NXT Gold Rush card, just like I said for AEW a moment ago when it comes to the Dynamite rating, NXT really should be expecting high-level ratings for these next two shows. It's tough to give a number expectation for what they should be, but I mean, with Seth Rollins on that first one, you would hope that they hit the 700,000 total viewer, maybe 0.2 for the demo for that first one. The second one maybe a little bit lower, something like 675 total viewers and 0.18 or 19, something like that. Uh, but and WWE has a chance to do something here with NXT. It's exciting to see it happen. Uh, you know, there is an argument that can be made. Should it just stay developmental? Should they try to make it a third brand? I really am of the belief at this point, it should be a hybrid. It should be what NXT was supposed to be from the very beginning. You have big time experienced talent helping develop the younger talent and bring them along. It's what it was at the beginning where WWE would have main roster people come down for excursions in NXT. Then they hired a number of big time independent talent that you know never needed to be in NXT in the first place. Finn Balor, Shinsuke Nakamura, Samoa Joe. Those guys all could have immediately come up to the main roster. Yet they were used to NXT to sure develop their WWE style a little bit, but also help develop the younger talent too. And if that is what they're trying to do now, but instead of hiring the big experienced independent wrestlers, largely because AEW has scooped up the vast majority of them, and instead they're using their own talent to do it, I think that's going to make a lot of sense. All right, folks, that was this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, breaking down everything that happened this week across AEW and NXT. As I mentioned, we have a huge week ahead on Saturday. We should be back with an AEW Collision Instant Recap show next Tuesday. We will have your WWE show as always. On Wednesday, a special episode will be breaking down night one of NXT Gold Rush and the Silver King sits down one-on-one -on -one with WWE ring announcer Samantha Irvin, one of my favorite conversations we've ever given you on this show. I'm excited to bring it to you on Wednesday. Next Thursday, one week from now, we will have your AEW Forbidden Door Ultimate Preview, and then next Sunday, your AEW Forbidden Door Instant Reaction. You are not going to want to miss any of that. On the way out, a few reminders. First, I happen to love the number... Five. So please join us over at buymeacoffee.com slash getting over for only $5 a month. You can support the show financially and you get bonus audio and news posts. Again, over at buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at getting overcast for episode drops, news analysis, highlights, and so much more. And finally, it's all about 
the five. It is all about the five here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave some five-star ratings and reviews. On Spotify, you can leave a five-star rating and you can leave comments on individual episodes. Whatever the case, it's all about the five here. And we hope you tell your friends and your strangers through Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thank you all for listening to this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. It is time for the Silver King to sign off and leave you with just three final words. Bye for now.